Plan B with Rebecca Davis. I took a deep breath because um, it's a deep dive into all sorts of deep and interesting topics. Plan B with Rebecca Davis. Good afternoon, Ms. Davis. Good afternoon, Mr. Matham. How are you? I am in reasonable health and spirits that are not sunken too low. How are you? My spirits are not sunken too low, but my bank account will shortly be sinking low since the latest figures in this regard suggest that for middle-class professionals like myself, 80% of our salaries are now gone within five days of them being paid. I was paid today like most of us, and I can confidently say that within a week I will basically be penniless. This is the situation for many of us now, John, and I think we can all agree it doesn't feel right. Absolutely. So we should be wholeheartedly supporting the trade union federations and the trade union members that marched and protested yesterday. We should, to a degree. So the unions definitely have a point. I mean, I cannot actually think of a more popular cause than the one which took them on the streets this week. I'm not talking about state-owned enterprises. I'm not even talking about load shedding necessarily, though that too is obviously a very popular cause. I'm talking about simply the cost of living crisis, which was sort of the foundation of their protest this week. I've been doing a price comparison, John, just looking at the cost of things over the last five years, so from 2017 to now. 2017, actually, things were unusually expensive even because there had been that drought, of course. So even then, that that was higher than it had been for some years. But even so, a loaf of brown bread, for instance, in 2017, cost 10 rand 40. Today, it costs 17 rand 99. So it's jumped by almost 8 rand. It's almost doubled. And I think, unfortunately, most of our salaries have not doubled in the slightest in the five-year period that that covers. So there is a sense that things are becoming unsustainable, that life is simply becoming unaffordable. And, of course, for us middle-class people, it is still a lot easier than for those of our country folk who are living in poverty. So, yes, the unions are on safe ground when they say that things need to change. But here's the thing that irritates me, John. Several of the things that are becoming most expensive and are causing the most misery to ordinary South Africans are pretty much as a direct result of the war in Ukraine. And that is, I mean, the, all of these things have complex factors. COVID didn't help the disruption to supply chains. There have been various issues with agricultural harms. But the war in Ukraine is considered central to the rise in price of petrol, of bread because of wheat and grain prices, and, and of cooking oil because a lot of sunflower oil comes from that region. So you would think, given that the unions are lobbying governments, that the unions are ostensibly looking around for solutions, that the unions would be taking a very firm stance on the war in Ukraine and saying, you know, this is not okay, stop this war, because our ordinary workers in South Africa are suffering drastically and very directly as a result of this conflict. John, it will not surprise you, I'm sure, to learn that that is not the case at all. I actually was unsure what the the union's stance on the war in Ukraine was at all, because I can't remember hearing anything in particular about it. So I did a little dive into this. Kosati has voiced some solidarity with workers in Ukraine. Saftu said at its Congress this year that it's against imperialist wars, which is pretty vague, and it did not call out Russia directly. And NUM, which is technically part of Kasati, but who knows, NUM is sort of a, 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 a law unto itself, 
says that the war between Russia and Ukraine was triggered by the empire of the United States of America. So what we fail to see, very noticeably, is any kind of direct condemnation of Russia from the unions. And that does stick in the craw a little bit when considering that if they were to pressure the government to take a firmer stance on this conflict, perhaps it would indeed send a message. Now, the obvious question is, would Vladimir Putin and Russia give a single toss about what South Africa actually thinks about the conflict in Ukraine? And that, I'm afraid, John, is a question that I personally answer with no. And my evidence for that is that during that period, at the outset of the war, when South African students were trapped and trying to escape from Ukraine, Indian students were in the same position, and Putin personally intervened to make sure Indian students got out safely. No such offer was made to South African students, which frankly suggests in my mind that Russia simply does not care about South Africa in the way that South Africa perhaps aspires to be treated by Russia. So the the effect might be symbolic, but it seems to me that it is a symbolic step necessary to take if you are genuinely looking to fix what is wrong with things that are making life unaffordable for ordinary South Africans. And then two cases recently, Rebecca, that might go into the file which has on its uh, outer page sexism in global politics. The first, of course, being the Finnish Prime Minister, Sanna Marin, 36 years old, who had the temerity to participate in a dance party and promptly was vilified by her political opponents and many other people internationally for her wild dancing. I don't know if you've seen the videos. The dancing is indeed wild. It is wild. It it is wild. It it looks like she's having a whale of a time. And it prompted speculation that she might be on drugs because it is wild. She's not on drugs, we now know, because she had to take a drug test. The poor woman, I mean, if all of us are subjected to drug tests on the basis of our unsightly dancing, my goodness, John, I would never not be taking drug tests. Santa Marin was not on drugs, but it does bear the question of why this outroar? Why this outcry about a woman dancing, a woman who is a prime minister? I understand the argument that prime ministers have a serious job to do and that they need to be viewed in a certain light. But it is noticeable that uh, Boris Johnson, for instance, Boris never used to shut up about the joys, for instance, of drinking at lunchtime. He famously said, you know, the thing about a few pints over lunch is that it makes you feel ever so slightly superb. We have Donald Trump, who bragged about grabbing women by intimate parts of their anatomy as a form of you know, recreational entertainment and was allowed to become president of the United States. So as always, there is a sense that bad behavior from male leaders is viewed with considerable more generosity than that from female leaders. My heart goes out to Santa Marin, who said in a tearful press conference that she too sometimes longs for joy. I mean, who doesn't, John? (sighs) (laughs) And John Stianazen? John Stienhausen, what is it? If you do not believe this by now that John Stienhausen is the kind of man who definitely would say to his chums around a bride that his ex-wife was roadkill, that would say to you, to me, it's perfectly obvious that that is exactly who John Stienhausen is. And I don't even have any interest in dissecting that comment. He hasn't apologized. He told Daily Maverick he made it in the context of a lighthearted podcast. I should add, it's a podcast renowned for misogyny. And also that argument is exactly the same as the locker room talk that was used to defend Donald Trump's sexism. Be that as it may, I'm not even interested in that. What I am interested is in the DA's Women's Network, the Dawn Chair in Gauteng, Stephanie Uckerman, who told Bielt yesterday that men will never treat women as 
they're equals if we are so sensitive. She said that women must stop complaining about that roadkill comment because, and I quote, if you're standing around any bri when the men are talking and women are constantly objecting to how men talk to us, then we will never get that foot in the door because we want to be seen as equal so that we can compete with men. So what this woman from the DA Women's Network is saying is that in order for women to be treated equally, we absolutely must accept being subjected to sexist comments as I read it. I simply do not know what to say about that, except that the DA Women's Network seems to be reassuringly following in the mold of the ANC Women's League, which is to say their primary mode apparently is now their primary function is to defend the male leader of the party. Enough said. And uh, the same's also true of the women's arm of the EFF and so on. The price of getting ahead in politics is that you have to either subvert any genuine feelings you might have about how badly men behave or pretend to subvert them in such a way that it doesn't get in the way of your progress. I am glad that you also found the story in the New York Times of earlier this week, I think it was the day before yesterday, it might have been even yesterday, about doppelgangers and that they actually exist and that weirdly two people whose only connection is that they look vaguely similar have incredibly similar DNA. I love this, John. I mean, I love the idea of doppelgangers. Who doesn't? Doppelgangers, of course, being people who look alike but aren't related, sort of your secret twin. You know, doppelgangers started off certainly in our culture as like this fundamentally very creepy phenomenon, right? You find them in Middle Ages, in kind of Victorian literature, this idea of someone out there who looks like you and might even be doing terrible things that you don't know about, maybe sort of your alter ego, with evil and you're the good the good side. Um, I think these days we don't so much associate doppelgangers with that, but fascinating that science is now confirming that doppelgangers indeed exist, as the advent of social media has shown, because there have been, obviously there's now many more ways to determine, uh, to compare faces, for instance, face recognition software. So we've known for some time that there really are people out there who look just like each other but aren't related. And now they've had an opportunity to study pairs of these people and determine what the reason is. As you say, it is that their genome, their DNA sequence is similar. What I didn't get from that article, John, was I would like to know whether it is possible that people whose DNA sequence are similar could exist on other opposite sides of the globe or whether these are always people who are drawn from sort of the same basic geographical area. The researcher, it seems from the article, got interested in this because he says his own doppelganger is Mr. Bean, Rowan Atkinson. And I suppose that's one of the only ways you might ever find out if you have a doppelganger, if your doppelganger is a celebrity. But also fascinating, John, that they believe that to some extent, I'm quoting here, similarities are the luck of the draw spurred on by population growth because there are only so many ways to build a face. In other words, the population (laughs) of the world is now so large The designs are repeating themselves. (laughs) That simply people are just, there are more of you than you realize out there because there just aren't enough different variations of faces that exist. Have you ever been told that you look exactly like someone that someone else knows? I have been told that I look exactly like someone's favorite Dachshund. That's as close as this has got. I'm picturing it, John, and I have to say, it does not strike me as beyond the realm of possibility that that might be accurate. Somebody's just WhatsApp, uh, Rebecca, to say, John, I met my exact double in a nightclub once, and I mean exact. It's creepy. It must be. I mean, if you meet them face to face, it must be incredibly creepy.
It must be incredibly creepy. I must say, though, as someone who already has a, a diagnosed doppelganger, because I am, of course, a twin, I have a twin sister, I myself do not find this phenomenon that weird. But then again, there are many people who also find twins creepy. I think it's just the idea of a double in any way that for some reason gets under our skins. But I would be keen to hear from your listeners if there are people out there who have met their non-twin doppelganger, someone who looks just like you, for no particular reason. Thank you very much, Rebecca Davis. Another Plan B next week.